You know how you win the battle? Listen now. You and I have the opportunity to walk in victory, to claim the victory, to experience the victory that is already ours. Because I know I have something to offer. Go where you have never gone before. What you got? Keep moving through the pain. Keep moving forward. Do what you've never done before so you can be the woman you know yourself to be. I live my life playing to win. I'm after something. So much in you. We have the victory. Hey, Purpose Chasers. Welcome to another episode of the Pray, Plan, Slay podcast. And this week, I am very, very excited about this guest and this topic. Listen, we are talking about sex, baby. That's what we're talking about today on this episode. So before we even get into it, let me go ahead and introduce our special guest, Ms. Brittany Broaddus-Smith. Brittany is the founder of The Intimacy Firm and creator of My Volva and Me, the web series. The Intimacy Firm is an intimacy consulting and sexuality education agency. Brittany is an accomplished licensed social worker, sexuality educator, trainer, and speaker. Brittany earned a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in both social work and clinical human sexuality. Working in the intersection of sexuality and faith, Brittany travels nationally facilitating daring discussions around those typically taboo subjects via comprehensive sex education, consulting, training, and coaching. The Intimacy Firm's mission is to empower individuals to discover, embrace, and navigate their sexual selves without compromising their values. Let's welcome Brittany to the show. Brittany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited. (laughs) We are so excited to have you here. Like I was saying to you before we started, I was not expecting as much feedback for this topic as I got. So I'm super excited to have an expert like you in the guest chair. Yay. Thank you. I'm excited. Now, expert now. That feels, don't put too much pressure on me now. (laughs) (laughs) Just just walk in your anointing. Come on, Jesus. Come on here. All right. So before we get started, Brittany, tell us a fun fact about you that is not in your bio. Oh, I don't know if this is the fun fact. Well, okay. I'm a mime. I'm a liturgical mime. I love it. (laughs) Okay. No, no. I'm a liturgical dancer. So um, our dance team also has a mime sort of arm to it. And all the young people in my church mime. I don't have the miming anointing, but it looks so every time I watch a liturgical mime, I'm like slain. It is just so great. So I love that. And the funny thing about it is that I look at other mimes and say also I don't have the mime anointing. I just feel like I praise dance in face paint. But because I have on paint and gloves, they call it mine. But honestly, it truly, I just like the way they give, they do their thing. It's just like, I don't have that like boardwalk, you know, uh, Times Square-ish type of, you know, they just have Locked those movements. movements. Yes. yes. <laughs> no, I don't have that. I don't have that. But I do give unto God his just due, but just in white paint and gloves. <laughs> I love it. I love it either way. I love it either way. 
Okay, Brittany. So you are a Christian sexologist. I am. What? First of all, what is a Christian sexologist? <laughs> Let me just start there. What is that? <laughs> so a Christian sexologist is a sexologist who uh, navigates the intersections of uh, sexual health and wellness and the social science and, you know, medical, medically accurate information that come, that is human sexuality with the foundations of, of the Holy Bible and like either some traditional, some non-traditional understandings of what scripture says and God's heart for sex intimacy and relationships, but in a way that's medically accurate inclusive, pleasure-focused, that kind of thing, all of which are supported by scripture, but not necessarily always exegeted in that way. That's what I guess. Okay. So you gave us what actually is a Christian sexologist. So thank you for laying that foundation. And I think this is such an important topic to talk about because just in the way that although churches are evolving and changing, and I appreciate that, but in the way of the past, and I mean, I kind of came up in a Pentecostal church. So talking about sex was just, you know, don't do it, full stop. That was the extent of the conversation. So now that we are opening up and having these conversations, which are so very important, it's great to know that God has also appointed people in this area to make sure you get it right. So why did you want to become a Christian sexologist? I didn't want to become a Christian sexologist. And I, and I still have those moments where I'm like, God, are you sure? I wanted to be a lawyer all the way up until literally orientation day at undergrad. I saw Johnny Cochran and I was obsessed with him. Joan Carol Clayton, Esquire on Girlfriends. I was obsessed with her. I was going to be in New York in my glass-filled loft and my Louboutins pointing and just like wrecking shop in somebody's courtroom somewhere making millions and billions of dollars is what I was going to do. I got to undergrad orientation day, went to, you know, the poli sci section or uh, class or whatever. That was my major political science. And that man bored me to tears. I mean, snot and crying tears. I was like, I cannot and will not do this for four years. So I switched to psychology And I always loved people. I've always been a people person, always been in helping spaces, even before I was like formally working. And so I was going to do psychology for a while. And at the point, I didn't want to get my doctorate. And I knew that social work master's degree was a terminal degree. And so when I went to get my first master's, I loved like my couples course, like my therapy, like the clinical course. And we had like those couples case studies and things like that. I loved, loved that because it was almost like having those conversations I have with my girlfriends, but just now I can diagnose some stuff. And so I was, I went that route, but when I got married, I got married at 22 and my husband was 10 years older than me. And he was a deacon at a church and getting in there. And like, there was plenty of like couple stuff that I could unpack, but it was that unspoken sexual stuff that was so intriguing to me because though I've been in church since I was 12, it wasn't a family thing. Like my family didn't go to church. I went to church. I found, I looked for my own church home at 12 years old, me and Jesus were like, you didn't have to sell Jesus on me. Like I was, I was like a self-appointed pew baby. Like I wanted to be in church all the time. And from there, it was just like, there's something missing here. So, and I've never had that, you know, secret negative. We can't talk about this. This is not appropriate like thing about sex. Like I never, I never did. Um, 
And when I got married and I realized like, y'all got some stuff with y'all as it relates to sex. And y'all keep saying it because a guy. And I'm like, we can't be reading the same Bible because where are y'all getting this from? And it was, I taught a, a Sunday school. Um, it was the joint singles ministry, marriage ministry, marriage ministry, Sunday school. It was called sex and salvation. And my pastor, I just started school and my pastor was like, okay, you want to, this is what you want to do. Let's see if it works. And I was really torn. Like, how can I have this conversation with this mixed crowd? How can I say these things that's for married people in front of single people without waking love before it's time and all of that kind of stuff? Like, how do I do that? And then how do I, you know, warn the singles without putting the married people to sleep? Like, it's just, it was so much. And like, we worked it out. We figured it out. I had the conversation and I don't, I'm not really, uh, I heard the Lord say type of Christian. Like, I know he speaks to me and moves through me. And I meet him are like this. We're tight. But I don't, that's not, that's not my everyday experience. But I literally heard the Lord say, this is it. And I was like, say what now? And he was like, this is it. And I got the oldest. Um, I've never met, I forget one of the elders was like, Brittany, this was amazing. I love this. We need to talk about this more. I just don't know how I feel about it being from the pulpit. Maybe we can do it in a fellowship hall next time. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. God, I got you. Yeah, this is it. (laughs) And so here we are. That was in 2015 is when I started school. The intimacy firm was born in 2016. We did it during discussions. It was a free event. Over 50 women came together and we did games and the sexual possibilities inventory and just really just uh, like over 50 Christian women, just like laying their heart and their pleas for what does God want for me in this body and sex? And it was no turning back from there. That is such an amazing journey that God brought you through. And I love how you just stopped and you're like, Lord, are you sure you want me to talk about this? Because it might seem to other people like off the cuff, like that's not really the topic of conversation. Maybe we could talk about tithing or something like that. something that's more PG for everybody. But I love that you followed God and you still tackled it head on. And he still blessed all the people who needed to be blessed from your ministry at, at that time. And even now. So I want to ask you, what does sexuality look like as a Christian? It looks much bigger than the first three letters. A lot of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, hear sexuality and they think sex. They think penises and vaginas and penises going in and out of vaginas. That's what they think. And so that's why guards go up. That's why ears shut down. That's why people are cast aside or categorized in certain ways because they can't see, they can't see the concept beyond the activity, right? Mm-hmm. And so sexuality as a Christian is honoring creation. Sexuality, when you are honoring your your temp, your body as a temple of the holy spirit that's sexuality because if you are because that's not just there's not that's not just a spiritual implication there are physical implications to honoring your body as a temple so when you're taking care of yourself and you're knowing yourself and learning anatomy and know the appropriate terms for your body parts and say them without shame um, when you look at yourself in the mirror and see beauty in it and you're literally honoring the work of God's hand. So by being authentic and well-rounded and holistic in your sexuality, no matter how explorative or expansive or how, you know, in the box, if you will, you may be, all of that is okay if 
it is authentic to you and what God's heart is for you. And so there are some things that people are like, oh, if it's expansive, then I can come and do whatever I want. Never does the Bible say we can do whatever we want. And there are some things that the Bible doesn't care about, but you don't like. Mm-hmm. And that's also okay, right? And so sexuality as a Christian is as much about waiting until marriage to have sex as it is about understanding or being able to articulate your turn-ons and turn-offs within a marriage and recognizing that self-control is important and understanding that First Corinthians does not give you permission to circumvent consent, whether you're married, whether you're married or not. It also understands that if I don't want to have any children anymore, I can still have sex. That God intended sex for procreation for sure, because he loves you. God's obsessed with babies. Like, okay, God, we get it. Um, but also he intended it for us to bind. Like there's that covenantal experience of us coming together. So covenant is what? Healthy relationships, which is also under the umbrella of sexuality. And then there's pleasure. And Proverbs, when he talks about rejoicing in your wife and the wife of your youth, may her breast satisfy you always. May you be ever intoxicated with her love. That when you look at the word intoxicating in the original language, it's where we get our word eroticism from. So God's not just saying do it, but do it, do it often and do it well. Like period. <laughs> period. <laughs> okay. There is something that you said, you said sexuality is bigger than sex and it's about honoring creation and honoring your body. And I, I wanted to pause there because I find that a lot of times, especially for women, honoring our body becomes very hard for us because as women, we tend to always find what's wrong before we find what's right. So I just want to pause right there and ask you, what tips do you have for a woman who may be struggling with honoring her body and seeing it, that every role, every stretch mark is a part of God's creation and he made me and I'm, you know, fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, for, I mean, we start there. We started not to be super deep or super spooky or spiritual, but on the sixth day, God saw all that he had made and saw that it was very good, right? We have genetics. We have things that our bodies just trend in a certain way without, no matter how much, no, how hard we try without any type of like surgical intervention or whatever, our bodies are just going to do what, the, what that particular body is going to do. And so if God saw even that body from creation and said, okay, this is very good, then who are you to look in his face and say that it's not, right? But then also, I would rec- I would really recommend women wrestling with what is the metric system? When you look in the mirror and don't like what you see, you're comparing either subconsciously or consciously, you're comparing your body to another body. What other body are you comparing your body to and why? And like, what about, what do you feel like that body earns or garners them that your body doesn't? And then really unpack the sense of rejection or, you know, in some cases, pride or, you know, feelings of inadequacy, like kind of deal, you know, with that, that literally some, in some cases shift what you literally see when you look, you know, when you look in the mirror. And it's one of those things where you just have to begin to affirm yourself, like out loud, look at those parts and force your, when that negative thought comes, force yourself to give yourself a compliment. How had that particular body part that you don't like, how has it served you? Because there is a way that it has served you. And so it may, it may take you a long time to get there, 
but pour into your own self and don't beat yourself. Like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself is the greatest commandment that we have. Right. And so a lot of times how we love ourselves is the blueprint for how we love externally. And, and unfortunately, though, many of us would never talk to other people the way we talk to ourselves. So really, and I like, you know, the golden rule, do unto others that you would have them do unto you. Do unto you as you have done unto others, especially Black women. Black women will go through hell, high water, ain't no mountain high enough to keep a Black woman from doing for somebody else. Turn that turn that car in reverse and, and, and direct that energy towards yourself. I, I absolutely love everything you said. And it, it makes such a difference when you look at your body and you're able to, you know, first pick out the things you love and, and, and start speaking affirmations and look at the different parts. Um, I remember reading something recently that says, you know, just a reminder that body you have now got you through a whole pandemic. <laughs> like you need to, you know, love it because and you're thank still here. Yeah. And thank you. Yeah. You're still alive. You are still able to move. And those are the things that we forget. So I do love that advice. Now, I want to go to the original question Christians have, Christian singles have usually when they're thinking about sex. Well, how am I supposed to stay abstinent? How do I be abstinent if I am a sexual being and I have these desires? What would your response be to that question? So first thing, first things first is check your spirit, right? You want to make sure that you are in right standing with with the Lord and make sure that your purpose for abstaining is sound. Women, men, we are not saving ourselves for our partner. You are not saving yourself for a husband. You should not be saving yourself for a husband. You not you should not be saving yourself for a wife. You should, however, have have a heart postured for God to be sober minded and chaste in mind, body, and deed. That's what you, that's what, that's what it's for. Cause when you do that and you make sure that you're the purpose for what you're doing is sound, then when it belabors on, you're not feeling away. And then you also don't find yourself in this almost bartering, like quid pro quo relationship with God and then get, begin to think more highly of ourselves than we are and think God owes us something. I've been asking it for 10 years. I've, I've been saying I did everything right. Where's my man? Where's my wife? You know, that kind of thing. So when your heart is, if you're recognized that I'm abstaining just because if I never get married, if I never get a reward, it's because God asked me to. So I'm doing it for him because of all the other things in life that he has blessed me with that he didn't have to. I'm making a decision because his word, as his word says to honor if you love me, you keep my commandments. So this is what I'm doing for you, Jesus, with no with no expectation of a reward on the other end. Now, that doesn't mean we're, we're not going to have thoughts and feelings and hopes. And sure, you want to be in a relationship. Sure, you want to, you know, not many of us have the spirit of Paul. Child, no, I want to be booed up. OK, but that, that and so that's that's separate and apart from our motives. My longings and my motives are two different things or should be at least two different things. And so and it gives you a more a more authentic relationship with God because. If you put this aside here, you can be more authentic in your prayers because you're not trying to like swindle him into, you know, like he's some type of genie or something. Mm -hmm. Then the next thing would be to, um, that was your spirit. And then I, you'll assume like I love alliteration. The other one is get you a spotter. You asking this in today's, in this day and age with no community, it's just like, I call it managing the weight of the weight. Like when you go to the gym and you got a heavy weight that you need to push up, you have a spotter mm -hmm. behind you that helps you lift it up. Same thing with as you're managing the weight of that weight. You got somebody there. Whoo, child, when you, when that, uh, it's one o'clock and you get that you up text 
and you want to be like, I mean, you can call instead, or you can, you know, you got a, a community, a space where folks understand what's up, what um what you got going on. They're like minded, and they you can they can pray you through it, they can laugh you through it. Sometimes they might gotta like choke hold you through like this the same one that had you crying the other night and now you forgot you got amnesia because he ain't da, da, da. so you got that same group and then the last one would just be check your surroundings make sure that you are not willfully entering into spaces that make you question your values or make you falter in those areas like you know it, the words that talk about check uh, protecting your eye gate and your ear gate and all those things are very much true but also like just practically like maybe don't if you're in a relationship maybe don't go on a vacation like maybe y'all in a exotic island all-inclusive resort in one king-size bed sharing a bed maybe that's not the best thing for you maybe netflix and chill might need to be on zoom like y'all might need to do like an apple tv shared screen type of situation from a distance if you're ovulating and you know that particular cologne uh he wears that particular perfume she wears when you know when it rouses you up maybe don't do that but sometimes the practical feels corny sometimes the practical feels like that's not realistic but it's the practical things that work like our grandmoms and things like that they went on like group dates mm-hmm. they had they had to take their little sister with them to the movies and like stuff like that and so it's a protective factor that also is again strengthening your community because i also am of the belief that you should be abstaining with someone and not for someone like not being in a relationship with somebody who's only abstaining because you're abstaining preach that is i I, that is definitely true and i think i just personally in my experience i have been in a relationship where i was somebody was abstaining for me that didn't Mm -hmm. work that didn't last long but then my husband we were dating he was abstaining before we even got together so that made it easier because we had sh- very strong boundaries about what we would and wouldn't do. And then we had accountability partners who would call us, be like, it's like 11. Where are you? What are you doing? Let me see your hands. So they would make sure on top of everything and parents and things like that to get us through the whole dating process and being able to honor God in our commitment. So what about the women who are saying, okay, Brittany, I hear you. So I think I can do this whole um, abstaining thing. I think I got it. But what about masturbation? I would ask them, what about masturbation? The one of the things that I am like weary of is when I get questions from women and men alike on what my thoughts on masturbation are. Because I don't want people to adopt my thoughts as their thoughts if they've not done the study themselves. So um, on its surface, does the Bible say thou shalt not masturbate? No. Is there any scripture that speaks specifically to masturbation? No, it's not. Is there scriptures that are mis, uh, misinterpreted and pulled out of context to relate to masturbation, like the story of Onan and spilling the seed, which has nothing to do with masturbation. That was actually about actual intercourse and his divine judgment came because he didn't follow the rule of impregnating his dead brother's wife. However, in the year of our Lord, 2021, there aren't any, there aren't that. But when you think about this idea of sexual immorality, that's not an act. Sexual immorality is an umbrella term, much like sexuality. That's an umbrella term with a bunch of other ones under. And when you have an umbrella term, you have subjectivity and you have some people. It's just that, you know, it's the biblical absolutes versus the personal convictions. And so what I would say is I don't I don't 
recommend it as a practice to be the thing that I'm going to masturbate to carry me through my, my, my season of abstinence. I don't recommend that because again, abstinence is for God. It's a, it's a sacrifice to the Lord. So if you are trusting him to keep you and then you have this tool that now you depending on masturbation. So you're in, in essence dependent on yourself. So you're making an idol out of your own body. So not in like the weird white evangelical way that they explain masturbation is like self abuse and all of that kind of stuff. The, that's not the case because masturbation feels good. Babies masturbate, but not, I mean, not necessarily masturbate, but babies self-soothe or self-pleasure in the womb because it feels good. But so it's not that, but it's the understanding of, is it a tool or is it a vehicle? Is it one of those things that are you using again to care, to keep you through this thing, which should be a dependent on God, or is it a opening a door to carry you somewhere else? So you masturbated the night to get the monkey off his back. And then when those text messages come in, when that, when you go, when you meet up with Bay later, you're in a mindset, you're in a space where those advances that you normally would have hard boundaries against are kind of now lowered. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things that it's not something that I recommend, but I could not, but I also recognize as a sexologist, again, that intersection that masturbation has pain relief properties for women who suffer really badly from menstrual cramps, masturbation releases in, um, those feel-good hormones that ease pain. I also recognize that for men, master the more ejaculation you have, the better heart health because of circulation and things like that. So I get, and I also recognize that thou shalt not have set in first century Jerusalem when they were getting periods at 14 and married at 15 is very different from menstruation and puberty at eight. And now you're 45 and have known no men. Like it's a different conversation. So what I say is definitely the change in times is definitely a space to have more conversations, to offer more grace and to hold space for other people's experiences, but it's not a carte blanche thing to say, go on, sis, do what you want to do. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it really is one of those things where you have to sit with, God. you have to sit with it and you have to sit with the Lord. You have to sit with the scripture to say, what does the, what is this meaning for me? Mm-hmm. And then go there. Yes. I, I think that is a great way of putting it and a great way of doing and talking to the Lord with those things in mind. So for the singles dating, they're asking, I've got a question here that is, can you build intimacy in a relationship without sex? Absolutely. You can, because sexual intimacy is only one type of intimacy. There's like six others. There, you know, there's emotional intimacy, there's spiritual intimacy, there's physical intimacy that is about proximity and not about sex. There's social intimacy. There are so many, so so many ways that you all can connect and bond that sex then just becomes a physical expression of the intimate connection that you have built the foundation of intimacy. Like if sex, if, if intimacy was a cake, sex would be the cherry, Mm -hmm. not, not the actual cake, not the icing, not the sugar. Sex is the cherry. And cherries are good. Maraschino cherries are delicious. I can eat them by the bowl. But it's one of those things that we, we again, we position as much as sex is uh, idolized, I mean, or disregarded, it's also idolized. I guess all people think literally. And so that's why I don't, I don't buy into the thought that the church doesn't talk about sex anymore because that's not true. All the church talks about right now is sex, but just, we're not just having the, we're, we're not having the right conversations and the right people aren't having, aren't leading the discussion because there are some of these, you know, praise the Lord. Leave it there. But I, went school, I went to school for this. Y'all don't know what y'all talking about. And so um, I think that, 
you just have to understand, have shared, again, like being like-minded, share goals, and really begin to see yourself as more than just, you are a sexual being is to be integrated into your, into your identity for sure. But you're not just your sexual interest. You're not just your sexual expression. You're not just your genitals. You're so much more than that. So when you think about building intimacy in a relationship, especially when you're courting and preparing for marriage, what else do you want them to see, know, and learn about you besides what you can do in the bedroom? Mm-hmm. And that's where you build that intimacy on those foundations. Yes, I, I think that makes such a difference. I love how you put it, you know, having the cherry on the top, but it's not actually basically the base of the cake. It's just the cherry on the top. I love how you put that. So does sex appeal matter when you're dating? Should it matter? I mean, sex appeal like just matters in life. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's like a a power that can be harnessed within us, like as it relates to eroticism, like an erotic power, like and you're like, there's like, if you just think about just like a black man, six, six in a good tailored, not super cheesy churchy suit with a good cologne. And they just walk around across the room, minding their business. It's just, there's a, there's a draw, like an aura that, you know, that just brings you in. Same thing with, with a woman who is just like authentic and doing If There's a, there's a strength in that. There's a confidence in that. So that again, is something that you can harness that will serve you in places that don't involve, uh, that don't involve sex. Like when I look good, oh honey, I feel powerful. Like when I look good, I smell good and I know, and I can see the the lookers looking. I'm like, (laughs) and it's not like causing me to do anything inappropriate or any of those things, but like I am dressing like a, being a pauper or dressing like a Mormon, you know, shout out to our Mormon. I'm sure if you have Mormon listeners, that was not no disrespect, but like, you know, y'all don't really wear the best outfits, but dressing like that, that's not going to, what is that going to do? Like, that's not a, mm-hmm. people that I mean, that's not like a barrier to F, like people who have jean skirts down to their ankles and turtlenecks up to their chin still sink. So it's like, if you want, I mean, if you want to look good, look good. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, something like that's not protecting you from anything. Agreed. I absolutely agree. So I want to leave our singles for a second and have a quick chat for our married folk. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Amen. Praise him. So the first question I got from some for some of our married folks is how do you address any issues from past trauma, past sexual trauma in building a healthy sex life with your partner. Yeah, I would recommend those trauma. Like if there's trauma, we're talking about like childhood traumas and things like that. I would recommend, so healing is a journey. It's not like this, it's not really that place where you feel like I've arrived and like, you know, I'm here. Like we, you know, we, we definitely believe in deliverance and things like that. But it's one of those things where you are actively practicing the things that worked, that got you to this space. You're actively, you know, avoiding those triggers and, you know, those kind of things. But when it comes to sexual trauma, I definitely recommend um, doing it, like kind of doing that work, at least beginning that work before marriage. Like that's the thing that that healing is reserved for you. It's not something that you heal for someone else. That's the thing that, that removes the angst and the hurt and the pain from you and the freedom from any type of fault. Like if you were, if you experienced sexual trauma, just understanding that it was not your fault and being able to have that clarity of mind to separate what happened to you from what you're going to be doing with your partner, because that wasn't sex. 
what happens in your marriage, that's sex. This over here, trauma, rape, sexual assault, that's not sex. It may be the same activity, but that's not sex. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we, we conflate the two. So beginning to do that work ahead of time, never feeling like it's something that you need to keep private. Like if, if your traumas in that regard is something that you feel like you can't share with your partner, that would be an area of concern as far as committing your life to someone that something so deep and so personal and so connected to your lived experience that you can't share with them. And that not that you have to all unpack it with them, because that's also a lot to be the hearer of trauma that could be really, you know, advanced. That could be a lot on the partner, but also you can be a supportive partner by making sure that you're encouraging them to go to therapy, helping them process whatever they you know need to show. If it's paying the copay so that I can go, like whatever. There are other ways of being um, a support and then honoring your own boundaries. If you try a thing and it's like, oh, nope, that's a trigger. Being upfront with that. If there are sexual behaviors that you are you know, not necessarily traumatized by, but just like, "Mm -mm, it's too close for comfort and I have no interest in it. Be upfront about that as well. Like, don't try to push yourself beyond where you're comfortable. It's a journey and pace it and then trust that hopefully you selected a partner, you partnered with someone that can, um, that can journey with you along that way. But consider what work do I still need to do before I enter into uh, and before I answer into marriage. Mm, that's really good advice. Um, what other other things can we do to promote a healthy sex life other than focusing on the sex itself? So it's, it's intimacy. You all are, sex is simply the physical expression of the love that you have for one another. So it is loving each other well, loving each other as individuals, as well as the role you, because husband and wife are roles. They're not identity. So loving yourself as, and loving your partner as who you are. So, you know, Shantae being Shantae and then your husband being your husband. And then we, and looking at your marriages, this is the thing that we get to do life together. Not I have to do, I'm not looking at each other as a duty. Like I get to be with this person. This is my person that I get to do life with. I get to figure it out. I don't have to figure everything out on my own because I have a partner, which is why I, which is why I love that word beyond is typical. Like, you know, even some Christian, you know, they hear their word partner and they automatically go, you know, somewhere else. But a partner really is a descriptive term for this is like, we in this, we in this thing for life. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so really kind of working on sensuality and like kind of seeing each other for who we are, like, and even having moments where you take sex off the table and just like kind of do again, that eroticism, like harnessing that erotic power, like ramping up that erotic power that exists between the two of you and then giving your space, give that space to breathe and grow like a fire, like, it, you know, grow it out and then come together and like, you know what I'm saying? It's like one of those things that, and that's one of my big things, like how do I spice up marriage, take sex off the table for a little bit. That's like, that's the fastest way to get you riled up is take it off the table and kind of just notice each other, right? Like intimacy, um, my favorite sexologist, sexologist Samira, she says, is being seen, being heard and being valued. Mm. So what is there to see? What is there to hear? What is valuable? Why, like, how am I a lucky person? Because I get to do life with this person. See that, acknowledge that, express that. And then in that same way, if there are ways that you don't feel like you're seen, if there are ways you don't feel like you're heard, 
murder value, express that as well. Deal with that thing because as much as sex is for some folks is a libido thing, it most many times is an interpersonal thing. Like it ain't like that. I'm not. I'm not aroused. I'm just not aroused by you in this moment. I may not like you. I mean, I want to have sex. I just don't want the kind of sex that you've been having. And I just don't know how to say it to you. Mm. Or or I want to say, and I was warning, but when I when you when I said that and then it was time to go upstairs and you just went upstairs and hopped in the bed and I had to wash the dishes and put the kids' clothes away and then make their lunch and you didn't lift mm-hmm. one finger to help me. Now I wish I would. So mm-hmm. it's so much more than so really seeing each other. I know like this taking in, like engaging in physical touch that does not lead anywhere. Engaging in, you know, what's considered typically called foreplay, and that just be that just be the entree for the night. And you know, penetration doesn't have to happen or you know involve like those type of things. That's how you keep it fresh, like loving each other well. I love that. I love that. I think all the marriage when you say you know the best way to spice up your marriage is to take sex off the table. I can hear all the married people in my head say, "I'm sorry, say what now?" (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and that's the same way when I say, you know what. You want to have an orgasm? Forget an orgasm. Mm. So, like the like the the worst way to try to have an orgasm is to try to have an orgasm. Like literally, sex is pleasure sensor. It should be pleasure oriented. So the only thing that sh- it should feel good, mm-hmm. and that's it. How it ends, it ends. How it starts, it starts. Like it's not linear. It's it's we're here. And so if it is, if it, if an orgasm happens and y'all ready to go to sleep, sure. If an orgasm happens and that's a spark for round two, sure. Like there's no, it's not foreplay, penetrate, orgasm, snore. Like we have to, we have to like throw that, throw that formula away and recognize that foreplay start. Honestly, foreplay for the next sexual encounter starts the moment the last one ended. Mm. And so it is in the aftercare. It is in yeah. Whether you said good morning to me, it is in, if you checked on me throughout the day, it is in when I asked you to bring home dinner and we've been using the same brand of cornbread for the last 15 years. And you actually bring me Jiffy and not some other foolishness that you've never seen me buy. It is, it is in that it is in the, Hey, I'm in the neighborhood. You want me to grab the kids for you? So it'll take that 30 minute treacherous commute off of my plate. That's, that's foreplay. That's intimacy. That's what's, you know, getting up the, that penetration, that's regular. It is the, the meat in it is in all of that. other. Mm-hmm. One of the things our, one of our um, premarital counselors said to us is that he, he said to us, his foreplay for him and his wife is him taking out the trash. Mm-hmm. That's how the night starts. So I think that's absolutely amazing that we should focus on all other things outside of the bedroom before we focus on sex itself. And I loved how you just touched on orgasms for a second and just saying that it shouldn't be work. It shouldn't be a goal. The goal is to pleasure each other and wherever that leads, that leads and being happy in whatever it leads to. So I'm going to ask you one more question because your time is precious and I know you have to go, but I think (laughs) this is a really important question. Does emotional well-being and your mental health impact how your sex life is, how you perform in the bed, how you, um, the the amount of sex you feel like having make a difference with absolutely without a shadow of a doubt your emotional and mental health are inextricably connected to your sex your sex life your sexuality and in as much as how you feel emotionally and mentally may increase how much sex that you're having and it may also take away 
may take away from it, especially if you do not like the sex that you're having, if you don't feel good about the sex afterwards, if there are moments where you don't feel supported, if you feel like the only time they pay you any mind and when it's getting ready to say all of that. And again, if when you look in the mirror, like how, where we started, if you look in the mirror and there are body parts that you don't like, and you're like, oh my God, turn the lights off. Oh my God, we got to get under the cover. Then he's like, it's 49 hundred degrees in this comforter. Like, get this off me. I want to see your body. Like all of that. And then if, if you all are bickering and, you know, and especially when you look at sex as like a duty, you're like, I'm just here. Like nobody wants, nobody hear me. If you don't take nothing up, I don't care if they, if they go with it, nobody wants compliant sex. Nobody wants all right here, or I guess I'm supposed to, I guess I have to kind of sex. Nobody wants that. That doesn't feel good, doesn't feel good for you or for them. And so when you are not feeling good internally or about whatever is going on between the two of you, if there are mental mental illnesses that you are battling or are unaddressed, all of that is going to impact libido, vaginal secretion, strength of erections, length of erections, all of it is all inter is all interconnected. Brittany, this has been such a great conversation. I know everybody listening is going to absolutely love this episode. You have given us gems on gems on gems. So before we go, please tell us where we can connect with you, your website, social media, drop a little tidbit about the book so everybody can get in with you before we go. Yes. Uh, Thank you so much, first uh, first of all, uh, Shante. This was like... It was amazing. This was really good. I sometimes these conversations, like, you know, I got to say the same thing over and over and over again. But this was like, your, the questions were really insightful. This was really good. And shout out to everyone um, listening. Thank you for tuning in. I am available on at the Intimacy Firm on everything on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok. My website is theintimacyfirm.com. YouTube is the Intimacy Firm on literally everything. If you want to reach me, the Intimacy Firm is it. Um, as she mentioned, our book, Volume 2, My Evolving in Me, For Buying About Black Women, Volume 2 is Letters to the Little Black Girl Inside, where myself and over 20 Black women from around the world came together to write uh, letters and poems or affirmations to that little Black girl that is still healing inside of all of us or that little Black girl or woman who is outside that didn't have somebody to say, I see you, I hear you, I value you, you are better, you are worth it, you are all the things. And it is as gut-wrenching as it is inspiring. It is, some of them are sad, but some of them are also like, yes, let's go. It is really the authentic, the, the full scale of what authentic Black womanhood and Black girlhood is, the, the good and the bad and the ugly of of that, as well as our My Evolving Me series, I guess by the time the episode comes out, we'll be in the final, the final week of My Evolving Me for season four, but all of those uh, past episodes and past seasons could be uh, caught up on on YouTube. Thank you so much, Brittany. And of course, you guys listening, I will put everything she just said in the show notes so you can connect with her. (laughs) Brittany, this has been great. Thank you for being here. All right, guys, thank you for listening to another episode of the Pray, Plan, Slay podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode. Be sure to like and subscribe. And also be sure to leave a comment, leave a review, let us know 
what you're thinking. Let us know what you liked from this episode, what you like from the show. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Pray Plan Slate Podcast, or you can follow me, your host, Shantae Sapphire, at Shantae Sapphire on Instagram. And the podcast is also on Facebook at PrayPlanSlay.com. We're on Twitter at Shantae Sapphire. All that information will be below in the show notes. Thanks again for joining us.